thank you for being here this morning. If it's your first time, uh, whether you're joining us online right now or uh, here in person with us, or if it's your first time in a long time, I'm Nathan. Thank you for being here. We are in the middle of a handful of weeks where we're talking about this thing that gathers dust. I mean, we all know, and we talked about this last week, we walk in a world that just dust settles on everything, every single thing around us. But there's one thing that as followers of Christ, we, we have great benefit in not allowing to gather too much dust. And that's obviously the word of God, the Bible. And so last week we started talking about that, and today, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to continue that. Um, and I have, I have one goal for, the, for this handful of weeks. It's just to, to clear the dust off our Bibles and actually open it. And thank you. Some of you joined me um, this last week just via email as we opened up the Word and we walked through Psalm 23 together. Um, but there is incredible, incredible life in being able to just walk through it and even walk through it together. And so that's, that's what I hope for. And last week, you know, we talked about this idea that for, for some in here, um, clearing the dust off your Bible is literally doing it. Like going and pulling it off the shelf, and it's been, maybe it's been a while, and just brushing the dust off of it. We talked about digital dust last week, remember that? And, and if you don't know what digital dust is, it's when you tap that Bible app on your phone, and it has to re-download, you have some dust, okay? There's some digital dust there. But this... This week, I actually want to brush the dust off something else. Not just, not just our Bible or our Bible app, but the way we actually approach using the Bible. Because many of us, we have a way of approaching it, a way of using it that maybe you grew up with. Maybe you just picked it up informally and you don't even realize. Um, but I, to, to talk about that, um, I've done something that I don't even know if it's allowed Okay, in, in our English language, I decided to take this thing that is a noun, the Bible, and I just, I just decided this week. I don't know who I'm supposed to tell or inform, but um, we're going to make it a verb this morning, okay? And, and you know what I'm talking about, because have you ever been Bibled by somebody? Do you know what I'm talking about? That's, that's when you're in a situation or, or you're making a decision, and, and there's just somebody who pops up, like out of the corner. It's like, where did you come from in my life? And they say, you know, the Bible says. And you know what that means? It means you've just been Bibled, like verb Bibled, okay? And now, we all do this. We all do this. And you may not express it to other people, but we can do this in our own minds. We can, we can actually walk around, and we can Bible one another. And so, this morning, for a few moments, I want to look across three different passages, and honestly, each of these three passages could be its own sermon. And so this is kind of a flyover, okay? It's not, it's not a deep, deep dive, but I want us to just see the different ways that Scripture is used in Scripture to see the different ways that we can verb Bible those around us, the world around us, even ourselves, okay? And so... The first actually comes from an account that many of you, if you grew up in church, you, you've heard this account. Jesus has, uh, ironically, with what day it is, Jesus has just been baptized, and he is led out into the wilderness. And it says in Matthew, and, and we're, this won't be up on the screen right here, but it says, um, after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, and then the most obvious statement in all of the New Testament, it says, he was hungry. And I thought, well, duh, like after 40 minutes, I'm hungry, okay? And so we all get that. And at first, there's there's this first temptation. Satan comes to Jesus. He says, hey, why don't you, you know, you're God. 
since, since you're God, why don't you just turn these stones into bread? You could eat. And, and so Jesus responds to that. And then we get to this. And, and I want you to notice what happens here. This is Matthew chapter 4, verse 5. It says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If, and some translations actually say since. Since, in other words, maybe he's not questioning that Jesus is the son of God. But if or since you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. Go on, throw yourself down. And then listen to what he says. For it is written. Let me stop there for a second. Did you know Satan knows scripture? See, that might be a new thought for us. And and it's right there plainly in Matthew chapter 4. But a lot of times we think of Satan, we think of like a snake, you know, the serpent that just, just travels around. And he affects everything. Sometimes maybe you think of like a little guy with horns on your shoulder and he talks to you. But you know what scripture says about Satan? He knows scripture. And here's what Satan says. It's written, he will command his angels concerning you. And they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now what he's doing here is he's quoting Psalm 91. And in Psalm 91, the the people, the the Israelite people, are on their way to the promised land. And what you have happening here is the people are are saying to to Moses, like, hey, we're special. God God should, you know, do something for us. God should do something for us. And what Satan's doing here is Satan is slowly moving from, he started out with Jesus, just meet, meet your own needs. You know, it's a legitimate need, need to meet your hunger. But, but Satan's trying to get him to meet that need in an illegitimate way. Well, he gets to here and he says, look, why, why don't you just, since, since you're the son of God, why don't you presume upon God a little bit? Why don't you tell God what he needs to do? And, and Moses, when, when the people were, were beginning to you know, complain and gripe in the, in the wilderness, as they began to say what they think God ought to do, He reminded them, you are God's special people, but God doesn't have to do anything. If you only knew what God has already done for you and what he's in the middle of doing for you. And so Jesus answers Satan. It is also written, do not put the Lord, your God, to the test. In other words, let's not use God's words to get what we want. Isn't that what we can do? See, one of the first tenses of that verb to Bible somebody is ourselves. We can, off, we can often be people who Bible when, right? When something comes up, when I think something should happen, when I want something to happen, then suddenly we start, we start going through scripture. We say, hmm, which verse would fit what I want? And Jesus spotted this right away from Satan himself. And he said, look, 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 Satan, you're trying to get ultimately what you want here. You're quoting scripture to do it. Now, we can do this, can't we? I mean, this is, this is even modern religion. As soon as we start just thinking, if I just quote a verse, God will have to. You know what that is? That's closer to superstition than it is Christianity. And we can do it. We can be people who Bible when. When I need it, when it fits. I mean, I did this, just so you know, I'm a pastor. And I did this last night. Last night, our, our oldest freshman at Chatfield, she went homecoming. What do you think I was doing all day yesterday? 
I read the entire Bible looking for verses about homecoming, okay? I just went, come on, there's, there's just got to be something. You know, Chatfield homecoming. It's got to be in scripture somewhere so that I can, I can just, you know, use the Bible. To, to steer her, to guide her, to make good choices, to inform her time, whatever it is. Did you know? It's actually not in the Bible, just so you know. If you were thinking about looking, Chatfield Homecoming 2021 is not in Scripture. But I tried to find it. I tried to find something that would fit it. That's the first way. We can Bible. To Bible, the verb. Second way. Uh, and, and there's actually two passages I want to read to you. One is John chapter 5, verse 39. He, Jesus is talking to the Jewish leaders. And the whole thing with the Jewish leaders is they got to the point where they just started putting a magnifying glass on Jesus. And, and they, they're watching everything he does. And whether it was healing on the Sabbath or not washing his hands before a meal. Uh, remember, he's God. He knows exactly what they're thinking if they didn't say it. And so what does he do? He, he, he knows their thoughts one day, and he says in John chapter 5, you study the scriptures diligently, talking to the Jewish leaders. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. And yet, you refuse to come to me to have life. Later on, in Luke chapter 11, Jesus actually sits down at a meal. He hasn't washed his hands. Now, just stop and think about it. How many of you, you know, especially the last year and a half, we all became a different level of maybe um, germaphobe, and maybe rightfully so. But you've, you've likely had thoughts when somebody hasn't washed their hands, right? And so he knows their thoughts. And in Luke chapter 11, he just starts, he starts talking to the Pharisees. He starts talking to the, the teachers of the law. And he says stuff to the Pharisees like, listen, you're so worried about getting the outside of the cup and the dish clean. And yet inside, you're filthy. You're like whitewashed tombs that on the outside, they're, they're totally clean and, and they're sparkling, but inside full of dead men's bones. And as he's saying this to the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the ones who knew the law, they decide to chime in, which is you'll see as a mistake, right? They, they say, you know what, Jesus, by saying this to them, you're kind of, you're hurting our feelings. No, they say you're insulting us right now. And Jesus, in his own way, says, oh, good, because I'm just getting going. Let's talk about you guys now. And he turns to them, and he begins to pronounce these woes on them, these woes. He says, whoa, woe to you, woe to you. You read this, and you think you've found the first people in history that Jesus maybe hated, and the truth is, he didn't actually hate them. It's that the pride was so thick that he had to use sharp words to penetrate their pride and to get through. Here's what he says. Luke eleven forty six. He said, you experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens that they can hardly carry. And you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. In other words, with the, they had a way with words. They had a way to teach. And so they could look at the law and they could look at people and they could go, you're not measuring up and you're not measuring up and you're not measuring up. We measure up, but you're not measuring up. And they would go around and do this. He goes on in verse 47, woe to you because you build tombs for the prophets and it was your ancestors who killed them. In other words, the prophet who spoke the very word of God, 
You know, you've built tombs to remember them, but you're actually of the same blood and the same thinking and the same mindset and the same attitude and the same all of it, that you would actually kill them too if they were right in front of you. Few, few verses later, verse 52. Woe to you experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who are entering. What is that key? Jesus was getting at something. Jesus said, I'm the key. I'm the key to this knowledge of this law in this word, and the word that the prophets spoke. I'm the key to it. And you've taken that away. And so all people see in the word of God is just a list of commands and what you've accomplished or what you haven't. And people think that they are righteous based on their own ability and strength to obey. But you haven't even entered this path, this door, the key to all of it, to come to Jesus, as he said in John, for life. See, the second way we can Bible people yeah, we, can, we can Bible when, but we can Bible at, can't we? You ever been Bibled at? Dare I ask, have you ever Bibled at somebody? Bibling at is where we don't realize that we're dealing with not just the word of God, but the one who wrote the word of God. And that he is right there in our midst. There was a, uh, an exchange between, many of you have heard the name J.K. Rowling, I'm presuming, Rowling, wrote Harry Potter. So she was in an online um, conversation. She got into an online conversation, and she ended up screenshotting it and posting it. But um, some, of, some of the Harry Potter fans had been speculating about one of the characters that, that J.K. Rowling had written, uh, a guy named Snape, I believe. Some of you are nodding your heads like, yep, I know exactly who you're talking about. And she just said, okay, I've, I've heard debate about this, whether he, was, um, whether he was a villain or whether he was a saint. And she said, the truth is, you can't make him a saint because he was vindictive and he was bullying. She's trying to describe his character. And you can't really make him a, a villain either because he died to save the, the wizarding world. And, and so, you know, she, she's, she's explaining like, here's what I was thinking as I made this character. Somebody in this online conversation, because she didn't just put the name J.K. Rowling out there, they said, uh, no, Snape died to clear his conscience, and what would you know about it? <laughs> and her response was, I made him. <laughs> and I thought, that's what this is right here. You've got the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who are such experts that they're, they're, they're holding it out, and they're, they're Bibling at people. And they're throwing it at people like they know. And the truth is they had no idea. And we've done this, haven't we? Especially the last year and a half. You know, you could probably make a pretty sound argument that Jesus was a Republican. You could probably make a sound argument that Jesus was a Democrat, because I've heard it this last year. You, you would maybe say Jesus was a socialist. Jesus was a capitalist. Jesus was vaccinated. Jesus didn't need to be vaccinated. This is what we can do. We can make a case for anything, can't we? And here's the thing. Here's what I'm getting at. You know, whether we Bible when we need to or we Bible at other people, the truth is this. You can clear the dust off your Bible and still have dirt in your heart, can't you? Isn't it true? You can clear the dust off your Bible. You can still have dirt in your heart. 
So I want to take you to one more passage. One more passage that I believe informs the way we ought to actually approach, engage, utilize Scripture. This is in Matthew chapter 1. Normally you'd be hearing about this at Christmas time. But in Matthew chapter 1, we're really, we're coming into the account of the birth of Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 1 verse 18, it says this. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now that word pledged had some significance. I mean, it meant like this is, this is nearly as good as marriage. Okay, this is already a covenant that's been entered into between two people. Verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was, listen to this, faithful to the law. Faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. How does that, how does that look? Joseph, on the one hand, is faithful to the law. He's faithful to the law that in Deuteronomy says, hey, if a woman is found to have committed adultery, she should be taken out and stoned to death. There was a a later sort of modification to it that a man would be permitted to give her a certificate of divorce, that he could actually walk away and be clear, his conscience could be clear. And yet, here's Joseph, faithful to the law. And then did you pay attention to what it said? Look at it again. And yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. If I could pause for a minute. Do you have some laws, <clears throat> some laws that maybe, maybe scripture has informed, but we all, we've all got some laws that we kind of hold to? You know, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You know, you get three strikes. An apple a day keeps the doctor away. You know, we, we all, I don't know if that's in scripture. I don't believe it is, okay? But we all have those laws we hold to, that we're faithful to. It's just part of our operating. And yet what's so remarkable to me about what we read here is that simple middle of the sentence, yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. Well, it goes on. Verse 20, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Wow, there's something different there. You can, you can actually, you can sense uh, Joseph engaging. He, he knew the word. He knew the law. He was faithful to the law. And, and keep in mind, it's not the Bible as we have it. He didn't have the New Testament. He had, he had all what we, what we know as the Old Testament. He had all of that. And yet, as he looked at the situation in front of him, you know what else he had? He had her heart in mind. He had her heart in mind. But as we'll see in a moment, he also had a posture toward God. You see, that's, that's worth us asking ourselves. Can God step in? Can God direct and guide differently and convict differently than what I've always held to my entire life? Can he do that? 
See, a lot of times, I, I wonder if, you know, there are certain stances I have, you know, and there are certain stances you have, that if God himself stood in front of us and asked us to consider something different than what we have in mind, could we do it? Could we do it? <clears throat> Verse 24 says this, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. In other words, this doesn't mean death to Mary, Joseph. This doesn't mean divorcing Mary. You're going to marry Mary. Joseph, that's what you're going to do. You're going to take her home as your wife. See, Joseph read his Bible through a certain lens. And he read his Bible through the lens of the mind, the eyes, the heart, the hands of God. He read it with the heart of the actual author of scripture. And to be honest, that's how we've got to read it. It's absolutely how we've got to read it. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. And this man who was so faithful to the law, who knew the law, he had a posture, a prayerful posture that said, Lord, I know what it says. But Lord, it's your word, and you're the author of it. And I trust your character enough to know that you're not going to tell me to do anything that goes against your word. See, as he looked over the law, sure, he could probably drill down and he could quote one verse to use, to use it to say what he wanted it to say. But as Joseph looked across the Old Testament, you know what he saw? He saw the character of God. And that it was a character that redeems. And it's a character that's for. See, we can be people who Bible when. We can be people who Bible at, or we can be people who Bible for. You want to know what happens when you become people who Bible for people? We begin to experience the power of the word of God. And as the, uh, as the worship team comes up, and as those who are being baptized, you're welcome to head backstage. Let me talk to you about that for a moment. Maybe one of the greatest illustrations of what happens when we become people who Bible for God's heart, when we become people who Bible for other people, you know what happens? What we're about to see. A handful of people who have so encountered Jesus Christ through his word, through his body of Christ, that they're taking the step to say, I desire to be completely united with him. Who've declared him as their savior and now as a, as, a, as a representation of their unity with him. Here in the body, in front of the body, are taking that important step of baptism. And so with that in mind, may we be people who don't just, we don't Bible when and we don't Bible at, but we Bible for and in doing so, the Bible can be noun, it can be verb. Let me, let me pray, and we'll transition into baptisms. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the incredible, incredible gift of your word. That as you look at us, and you gave us your word, you're, all, you're also faithful to not just leave it up to our own human understanding, but that you illuminate our understanding. Because as we've seen this morning, in just a few passages, and, and there are others, your word can be used, it can be misused. And so, Lord, inform our hearts as we look at your word, the entirety of it. Let us be reminded of your perfect, holy, loving, 
good character. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.